hello MAFRA friends, uh, good to be back with you, uh, albeit by video. I had a lovely time at the, uh, the 30th anniversary celebrations and I hope they're still fresh in your mind too. It was good to be together, it's good to celebrate God's good hand among us and the things that he's done and we need to be seeking him for our future uh, and we trust that our church will be pressing on faithfully even uh, when the rest of when we've gone, if, if the Lord Jesus delays his return, we trust that Mafra Community Church will still be um, kicking goals and, and, and pressing on for the kingdom. So um, let's pray to that end. But let's pray as we come to God's word now. Let's, uh, let's seek God's help as we uh, wrestle with his word this morning. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the treasures of your word. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples that, um, that your word will sanctify them in the truth. So sanctify us, make us holy, uh, make us more like Jesus as we come to your living word today. Uh, we pray that you would uh, speak to us and confirm us in the faith, uh, cause us to be uh, alert to the dangers of false teaching and cause us to uh, delight in the things that have been revealed from the beginning and help us to anchor ourselves in them by your Holy Spirit. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series in First John, so let's look at First John chapter 2. We're picking it up at verse 18 and reading down to the end of verse 27. So the Apostle John, in his typically affectionate way, begins, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it was taught you abide in him well there's some important uh, things going on there and uh, some big buzzwords if you're listening carefully Um, very often you'll hear christians talking about the last days or perhaps not all christians do but some do some talk about almost nothing but last days or end times i've heard those terms used in churches uh, as almost technical terms as though everybody knows what they refer to Uh, It's interesting, uh, the phrase end times doesn't actually occur in scripture at all, not once. 
except in the new international version as a, a, a heading of a section which was not original uh, to the text. You can also hear things like signs of the times. Well, uh, again, that's bandied around a lot. It's the sort of thing you expect to find on almost every second page of the Bible. But that phrase, signs of the times, is used but once in Matthew ch- chapter 16 when Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees for missing him and he was the sign of the times well antichrist is another big buzzword and again it's one that you'll hear some christians talking about a lot Uh, but here we find the first use of this term in the bible at all one of only two they're both in first john Uh, and one in second john as well Um, so we need to do some serious work on these things to make sure that we're really getting what john is saying without dumping our own expectations on them now remember the situation that john is writing about the situation that he's addressing is that he is speaking to people that he cares deeply about because he's an older christian who has taught them the faith in the past and he's very concerned for these little children as he calls them his beloved he's very concerned that they're slipping into or they the temptation to slip into sin is real So we've seen in chapter 2, verse 1, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But in chapter 2, verse 26, which we've just read, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So that the temptation for them going off into sin seems closely tied to the fact that there are people present in their community who have been part of their church who are trying to seduce, trap and deceive them. Now, the risk of deviating from the error, from the the historic faith, the truth that's been taught by the apostles, is ever-present. And that's what John was addressing here to his um, church or churches in Ephesus, in in what we would now call Turkey. Um, So John's appeal is based on his authority as an apostle, an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus. And he grounds it also in the fact that he says, what I'm teaching is what you've already heard. It's what I taught you from the beginning. Um, but it's also what everybody else of the apostolic band teaches as well. It's not new, it's not innovative, it's just what we've taught since the beginning because that's what Jesus taught us to teach. And so the community that he's writing to is troubled by the presence of false teachers, deceivers, and so John lays out three tests. We talked about this a few weeks ago. There's three tests for working out who is true, who actually belongs to the family of faith in Christ and who is outside of it. Now, the three tests are the test of truth, um, the moral test, uh, the truth, the, the test of doctrine. Uh, so believing rightly, doctrine's an important thing. You've got to believe the, the right things. Uh, and in particular, believing rightly about Jesus Christ. He is the, the actual son of God, uh, the Messiah who was promised to the actual son of God. So that's the first test, the the truth test. And we're going to look a bit more about that because John comes back to the idea of truth in the passage we've just read. There's the moral test. In other words, do you obey Christ's commands? Uh, And that would be a feature of the false teachers that they're probably not. Uh, But there's the social test and that is love. Do you love one another? And probably the false teachers were unloving. So John says, these are the three things by which you'll know a genuine our follower of the Lord Jesus. And so the first section, verses 18 to 19, I've given the heading warning, Antichrists ahead. So look again at verse 18. John writes, Children, 
it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So there's that sign of that pastoral affection, children, he calls them. He, he, he really does love these people and his love causes him to be very concerned for their progress in the faith. Um, when he says the last hour, that's the only reference to last hour in the whole of the New Testament. That's his way of saying where we are in God's timeline. Now, you'll hear phrases like last days or, or last time. They don't turn up nearly as often as perhaps some people might think. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, when Paul's talking about these things, he, he, just, he just slips it in incidentally, but he said that the scriptures were written for us on whom the end of the ages has come. That's how Paul characterises where we're at in God's timescale. Now, that was 2,000 years ago, and yet Paul says we're the people the Corinthians, we're the people, a New Testament people, the people on whom the end of the ages is come. So what I'd like to get across is that there's a variety of ways of using time references that are all synonymous. They all mean the same thing. Uh, and so last days, uh, the first use of that phrase in the New Testament is on the day of Pentecost. You'll read about it in Acts chapter 2 where Peter addressed the crowd that had been gathered by the apostles speaking in languages that they'd never learnt before so that the message could go out to everyone who heard. And Peter says, well, these are the last days, the days that the prophet Joel saw ahead. He says, they're happening now. We're in the last days. Now, that phrase last days or last time, that's what Jude says, it turns up in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Hebrews 1, James 5, 1 Peter 1 and 2 Peter 3 uh, all make reference to the idea of the last days. And so we can say that the last days are the entire period of time from Jesus' ascension to heaven until his return, or perhaps even the time of Jesus' ministry until his return. We have, according to Peter and according to the New Testament writers, we have been in the last days. It's a way of describing the whole span. And I think it probably has something to do with the fact that on the cross, Jesus says it is finished. So everything that was needed to do to establish God's kingdom on earth, with the exception of Jesus returning to do it physically, has been accomplished. We are in the last days all that remains is for Jesus to return and make everything new. And that's the, the, the way that the New Testament authors think about it. So Paul talks about how we are the people on whom the end of the ages has come. John says, this is the last hour. Now, one of the ways he knows that it's the last hour is that false teachers have come. And so John says, that's, that's a way of, of working it out. Because Jesus predicted to the apostles, to people like John, uh, that false teachers would come. So Matthew 24, the disciples had said to Jesus, how should we know when you're coming back again? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? See that, the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, said, uh, said, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And down to verse 24 of Matthew 24, Jesus predicts that false Christs and false prophets will arise. 
So John's saying to his people in his letter, what Jesus predicted is happening. Therefore, we know it's the last hour because Jesus said these things will be characteristic of this era in which we live, the era while we wait for him to return. Jesus talked of false Christs. John calls them antichrists. He's the one who came up with that word. And so what do we know about the antichrist? Again, like I said before, the, the word antichrist is, is a word that you'll hear a lot. Just Google it and see all the speculation about these things. But we need to anchor whatever we believe in what the Bible actually says. So let's look at what the Bible does actually say. First and second John are the only places where you'll see the word antichrist. And you'll notice there that, that, that John says that um, antichrist is coming so now many antichrists have come. So there will one day be an antichrist, but along the way until he arrives, there'll be lots of antichrists. An antichrist is someone who is opposed to the message of Jesus. They're opposed to the person and the work of Jesus. They're false teachers. In the context in which John is writing, he first used the word antichrist to describe these deceivers who have gone out from the church that he's taught and have started to teach false doctrines. They're deceivers, they're seducers, and John writes to warn his people about them. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul makes reference to a person that he calls the man of lawlessness. And he says in that passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that this man of lawlessness is the man doomed to destruction. Now, it's very likely that the person that Paul has in mind is the one that John would agree is the Antichrist. So John says, you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So it looks as though it was a strand of early Christian teaching that at some point in history, a person who was the very embodiment of opposition to Jesus, of falsehood and of, um, of deceit and seduction, there would be one person in whom all these satanic qualities were focused and that person says John is the Antichrist. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. But in Revelation, I think it's fair to say, and of course Revelation was written by the Apostle John as well, when we get to chapter 12 and 13 of Revelation, we read about this, this figure called the beast from the sea and the description we have in Revelation seems to fit the idea that this character, this beast, is the man of lawlessness, is the Antichrist, this solo figure in whom all of the world's opposition to Jesus is focused. So John says, you've heard that that one's coming. Well, I've got to tell you, along the way, there's going to be lots of other ones, smaller units, but people who anticipate the arrival of that great one. John calls them Antichrist. You've heard that Antichrist is coming. He says, so now many antichrists have come. And so what he's saying is that this danger is always going to be present. The Apostle Paul, when he summons the elders of the church at Ephesus, and remember that John is writing to the church in Ephesus, so Paul had predicted this himself probably 30 or 40 years before. He said in Acts chapter 20, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, not wolf, but fierce wolves, will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men twisted, uh, speaking twisted things 
to draw away disciples after them. We mustn't kid ourselves and lapse into a false sense of complacency and think that life will always go on fairly, sweetly, nicely. There will always be false teachers who want a hearing and who attempt to drag people out of, or seduce people out of the true church to follow them because there's some advantage in it. That's just the way of the world. And so John warns against it, as Paul warned against it. The whole New Testament um, contains many references to the prospect of false teaching. And so John writes that we've got to be alert and, and not fall for their, their wiles. But notice that Paul said that these people will emerge within churches. And that seems to be what's happened in the community that John addresses. These false teachers or antichrists have been active in the church. Now they've left. And the people who remain are wondering which side has the truth. Because these seducers are able to put their case pretty convincingly. That's why John wrote his letter. And so... uh, In verse 19, we're given a clue by which we can judge things. Verse 19, John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And so John says, We know it's the last hour because Antichrist have turned up just as we've been taught they would. And then he says, We know that they're Antichrists because they went out from us. They didn't continue. Now, that word continue is variously translated. It's a very important word for John. Uh, When John writes his gospel, the story of Jesus, he uses the word that we've translated here, continue, 39 times. Now, sometimes it's continue, sometimes it's remain, sometimes it's translated abide, sometimes it's translated dwell. They're all different ways of using that that word, and they're all fine. But in his letter, 1 John, it's a very brief letter, he uses that same word 26 times. So it's a very important thing to continue, to remain, to abide, to dwell, to cling on to Jesus and the truth. So if you remember John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says there, if you abide in my word, if you continue, if you remain in my word, You are truly my disciples. Where do you think the Apostle John learnt to apply his truth test to these things from Jesus? One of the tests for true discipleship, true Christianity, true following of Jesus is that you continue, you remain, you abide in his word because his word is true. Now, Jesus uses a very vivid image in John 14. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So if you know anything about gardens and plants, you'll realise that this is a a, a picture that he's trying to uh, use to describe what it really means to continue with him. And so he goes on, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Now think about the logic of his story. If you've got a grapevine and you cut off a cluster of grapes and just leave it aside away from the nourishment of the life that comes through the vine, it's pretty obvious that those grapes are going to die. So they'll only keep growing while they're connected to the vine because the vine 
is where the life is. Jesus says, I am the life. If you want to live, you'll have to be connected to me. And the word he uses is this word abide or continue or remain. So in 1 John chapter 2, these people have not followed Jesus' instruction. They haven't continued in him because they've gone out. And John says there's a purpose in them going out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So they don't belong to the vine. They don't belong to the family of faith that Jesus is establishing. Now, when it says there that it might become plain, we could say in order that it becomes plain. There's a purpose to this. They left and their leaving demonstrates the true nature of whether they're followers of Jesus or not. This is the truth test in action. One of the ways of knowing genuine biblical Christianity is are these people continuing to be attached to churches where the truth of the gospel is taught as it's always been taught from the beginning? And so John uses a bit of a play on words. He says they were never of us. Now remember back in John's gospel, John records Jesus' teaching and if you put John 16 and 17 together, there's some things in there. When you analyse them, Jesus says his people, people like you and me, are in the world, but we're not of the world. So yes, the world's where we live, but we're not of the world. We're not made of the same stuff as the world. These antichrists were in the church, but not of the church. And their departure is what's proved that. And by leaving, by not continuing, not remaining or abiding, they've shown their true colours. Do you know that phrase, to show your true colours? It's an old nautical saying, the colours of the flag that has to be flown. It was the rule of the sea that every ship had to have a flag that uh, revealed where it was from and who it was representing. Now, the story goes that pirate ships, uh, so that they could get close enough to, uh, to a ship that they intended to capture or rob or whatever, would fly a false flag. And only when they got close, then they would put up their true colour. These antichrists for a while looked as though they belonged, but the truth test has exposed them. They haven't remained. They haven't continued. They haven't abided in the teaching of Christ that's been delivered by his apostles. And so they've shown their true colours by leaving and so verses 20 to 27, the rest of the passage talks about John John puts across how they can defend against deception, how they can make sure that they don't follow the seductive false teaching of these antichrists who've gone out. And so in John 14, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Will Jesus return to heaven? And we're, going to, we're waiting for him to re- return to earth one day. But what he means in John 14, uh, as he explains throughout John 15 to 16, is that he is going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, when John writes there, you have been anointed, this is verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One and have all knowledge. There's some things there we really need to unpack. The Holy One is Jesus. Uh, In John chapter 6, verse 69, this is the only other reference in the New Testament to someone being the Holy One. And it's Jesus. So it's, it's fair to conclude that the Holy One is Jesus. So you have been anointed by the Holy One. So Jesus anoints the people who abide in him, the people who belong to him. 
Now in John 15 and John 16, Jesus equips the disciples with the Holy Spirit and he, he, he explains why. We haven't got time to go into all that now, but look it up. John 15 and 16, Jesus talks about the purpose of his sending of the Holy Spirit in the life of the disciples and the people that they'll teach. The word anointing is another word that gets used a lot and yet it only turns up twice in the New Testament, both of them in 1 John. So here in verse 20 and also in chapter 2, verse 27, a little later in our reading. Now, Jesus, we're told, is anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. We read that in Luke 4 and Acts 4 and Acts 10. So Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit and what's happened to him he passes on to those who believe in him. So Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. How will Jesus come to his people? He'll send his Holy Spirit. And so what's being said by John here, you have been anointed by the Holy One and have all knowledge. He's saying, don't leave the teaching of Jesus and follow these other ones who've got Jesus wrong. Stay with what you've heard from me, a genuine apostle of Jesus, an eyewitness. And remember that Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit, so you're not going to be orphans, but you're going to be equipped. And the Holy Spirit equips his, the followers of Jesus and, and confirms to them to the truth of the message that they've heard since the beginning. So John says, think about what you've heard. Uh, let the Spirit do his work of, of teaching you and equipping you so that you'll remain where the Spirit is in the true church of God. Now, this anointing by the Holy One and this idea of um, knowing or having all knowledge is, again, it's a little bit complex. Sometimes the Greek language in which the New Testament was written doesn't always translate really easily into English. And so it could be this sometimes or it could be that. And so different scholars or different Bible translators come up with different ways of looking at it. But verse 20 in the ESV that I'm preaching from says, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Now, what does that mean? Well, literally, and I've checked the Greek on this, literally that sentence would be translated, and you know all. That's all that it says, and you know all. You've been anointed by the Holy One, and you know all. So the question is, know all what? So sometimes translators try to finish the sentence, or they try to capture the thought that's been developed throughout the whole passage, and they might include a word or two just for clarity's sake. So in the New American Standard Bible and the New English Translation, it's translated, you all know. That's, that's how those versions take these words. You've been anointed by the Holy One and you all know. And that's where they leave it. But in the NIV that some of you will be reading and the New Living Translation, it's translated, you've been anointed by the Holy One and you, all of you know the truth. Now the word the truth is not actually in the original. It's just literally and you know all. In the New King James Version, it's translated, you know all things. And that's probably about right, something like that. So these people have not been left as orphans. The Spirit has come. Jesus has anointed them with the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit given when we believe in Jesus, when we're saved. It's the Spirit who opens our heart to believe it all. You can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is, is, is Jesus' gift to us 
so that we can uh, know the truth. And so um, John writes there, you, you, you've been equipped and, and you have the knowledge that you need. Now, Colin Cruz is an Australian scholar who's written a very helpful commentary on this, and this is how he explains his understanding of that verse. He says, The reference to knowing all things here needs to be understood in the context in which the subject under discussion is the denial that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son come in the flesh. Nothing they need to know about these matters has to be learned from the secessionists, from the Antichrists, the deceivers and false teachers who've left the church. They've got nothing to learn from them. Everything they need to know is taught them by the anointing they've received. So John's taught them. They've believed John's message. They've received the Holy Spirit. And believing what John taught them and with the confirming evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in their life, they've got everything they need. And that's what he means. It doesn't mean they don't need any other teaching. It just means... When it comes to the teaching about Jesus and who he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, they're on the right side of truth and it's these others who have got it wrong. And that's all the knowledge that they have that they need on that subject. And so in verse 21, John writes, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. These liars have gone out. They don't have the truth. John's not writing to tell, when he says that, he says, I'm not writing to tell you new things because you already know it. I'm just reminding you of the truth that you've already got. And that's the truth that Jesus is God's promised Christ. And so John knows that they know the truth because he taught it to them. But he's concerned about these antichrists influence and hence the warning. And what he's really saying is don't fall for their lies. Verse 22, who is the liar? He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, we've seen before in the letter some allusions to what these Antichrists have been teaching. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 5, it seems that they're claiming to have a special fellowship with God. Uh, verse chapter 1 verses 8 and 10 seems to suggest that these false teachers the antichrists are claiming that they're done with sin they don't that they don't sin um, verse 6 of chapter 2 uh, they live in god uh, chapter 2 verse 9 they live in the light so they're claiming special status as though there's two kinds of christians the ordinary entry-level christians and then these superpowered top shelf christians John says, no, there's only one kind of Christian. That's a person who abides in the truth that's been taught from the beginning. But now we have uh, a reference to what these antichrists are on about. And this comes out quite clearly in John's second letter. Now, we're going to look at this later on um, in this series. Ray's coming down and we'll preach about 2 John. We, We get a sense of antichrist doctrine from 2 John 7. And it says there that many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such, is, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. That's the last reference to Antichrist in the New Testament. Um, so John's the one who coined the word. John's the only one who uses it. But what's an Antichrist? Someone who doesn't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They taught that he was something other than a human. 
and this was special knowledge that they were trying to seduce these these ones that John's writing to with. Um, John says, no, that's just completely off track. Jesus is God's Messiah. Yes, he's God, and he's a human completely. So that's the nature of their, their false doctrine. And so in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, um, John writes, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so what that means is that uh, to, to acknowledge Jesus rightly shows that you actually belong to God. If you don't acknowledge Jesus rightly, you don't belong to God at all. So Jesus says himself in John chapter 5, remember that John's letter is applying the doctrine he's been taught from Jesus that he's explained in his gospel. There are lots of overlaps between the gospel of John and the letters of John in Revelation 2. And so John chapter 5 verse 23, Jesus says, whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. There it is. You can't be wrong about Jesus and be in the right with God. Abiding in the truth means getting Jesus right, and that shows that you belong to the Father. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, if you really knew me, you'd know the Father as well. So to get Jesus wrong means you don't belong to God. And so that's a test that John applies, and it's a very serious one to get right. And so going on about these defences against deception into um, verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So that's the test. That's what's going on here. But the anointing that you've received, the anointing they received from Jesus, you received from him, it abides in you, it remains in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and he's true and he's no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. There's those abide, continue, remain. Stay with the truth that you've been taught. Now, some people make too much of verse 27. Um, you have no need that should anyone teach you. What does that mean? Do they not need teachers? Well, that can't be what John means. Uh, because in Matthew 28, verse 20, and Jesus taught it and John heard it, Jesus taught his disciples they had to go into all the world and teach all the disciples that they made to observe all that I've commanded. Christians need teachers. Jesus supplies teachers for his churches. So in chapter 4 of Ephesians, teachers are one of the gifts that Jesus gives to the church. So clearly this, this verse cannot mean that Christians can go about their merry way and teach themselves. That doesn't, it doesn't mean that. Again, we've got to look at the context. The context is that there, there's a threat in this church of false teachers who have proved that they've always been false by leaving, seducing the ones that remain with their version of the truth. What John means is you don't need more teachers, especially those ones, the ones that have left, the ones that have shown their true colours. He says you don't need more teachers because you've already been taught the truth when it comes to the Lord Jesus. We've already seen in verse 21 that John's written. His purpose is to write to... He hasn't written to tell them the truth because they already know it. But what he's writing for is to warn them against these lying antichrists and and following them away from the truth of the gospel. So for us in 21st century Mafra, the application of this is we must remain. 
We must abide. We must stay in the true church that teaches the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God promised in the Old Testament who came to die for our sins, to be buried, to be raised, to ascend to heaven and return one day. Any departure from a full orb teaching that Jesus is anything less than God and man combined, fully God, fully human, the one saviour of the world, the only one who can lead people to God. Any teaching that departs from that must be rejected. So we must stay, we must remain, we must abide in that truth as grapes to the vine because that's where the life is. Well, as we finish, what is truth then? We live in a world of um, all sorts of competing claims. You'll hear people talking about misinformation or disinformation. You'll hear about artificial intelligence. I've heard that we're living in a post-truth world. Uh, People talk about my truth and your truth. Well, the Bible teaches, and I think that it's incontestable, some things are just true. And truth means real. It accords with the true nature of reality. Um, Two plus two will always equal four. When the sun's out, the sky is blue. There's just no arguing about certain things. And so John wants these people to understand that the truth that they've been taught is what they must continue to believe. And so he uses that phrase from the beginning seven times throughout his letter. What were you taught in the beginning that drew you to Jesus? Were you taught that Jesus is the one saviour of the world? Were you taught that he's the only way to the Father, that he is the key to eternal life? If you were taught that and you believe it, then stay with that, remain in it, abide in it. Uh, You might remember that a couple of years ago, um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand at that time, Jacinda Ardern, at the height of the COVID epidemic, um, she said, we, the government, will continue to be your single source of truth. Unless you hear it from us, it's not the truth. What a claim. Um, she was saying there's all these rumours circulating on the internet about the nature of the COVID pandemic and so on. She said, we're your single source of truth. Well, no, she's not. The Bible is the single source of truth. It's where people like John wrote down what the Holy Spirit had helped them remember about Jesus. They've written it down. It's our authority and any departure from what the scriptures teach is false. It's our single source of truth. And what is that message? Well, this is how John begins, and this is where we've just got to keep remembering this. First John chapter 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the word of eternal life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, this is the truth. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've touched it. I've eaten with the one who is the truth. I'm telling you. So don't depart from it. Remain. Abide. Continue in these last days, in this last hour. Hold fast to the truth as he holds fast to you. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for servants like John who loved his people so much that he wrote these things down for them. We thank you that we can profit from it as well. But we know that we're in the last hour, we're in these last days, and we agree 
that there are many who would uh, try to teach the wrong thing. So please help us uh, to remain anchored to the truth that's been revealed to us, uh, the truth that's recorded in Scripture, the truth that, uh, that people like John lived and died to defend. Uh, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and, and alert us to times when we are deviating from the truth. Help us to have spiritual antennas that are just so finely tuned that we can spot when we're being misled. Please uh, help us to remain loyal, to, remi- to remain, to abide and continue in the Lord Jesus, the only way to the Father. Uh, we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Well, I'll see you next week, I think, by video again, but um, I'll see you soon. Bye.